Yeah, getting into the fray, a proliferation of podcasts, a surplus of speaking, a glut of gab fests. So why should he listen to Perk at Pod? Well, first things first, what's up? I'm Perk. For the last couple decades, I've been in the sports department at CARE 11, the highly regarded and rated NBC affiliate in the Twin Cities, which is where where you are right now. And in that time, I've been able to fully immerse myself in the Minnesota sports scene. I've seen Final Fours. I've seen Frozen Fours. I've been under the goalpost when Gary Anderson missed a field goal. And I was there when Stephon Diggs goldmine glory in another end zone 19 years later. I've watched Lindsey Whalen win gold at the Summer Olympics in Beijing and Lindsey Vaughn win gold at the Winter Olympics in Vancouver. And so with a great deal of bias, I happily admit, A, I've got a badass job, and B, this is a freaking great place to live if you love sports. So with this podcast, what I hope to do is have conversations, fun, spirited, probably pretty informal, candid, and at times raw dialogue with those who make the Minnesota sports scene so damn vibrant. I hate the phrase movers and shakers. I prefer butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers, but that doesn't make any sense in this context, so I'll call them groundbreakers. How about that? Vital players in this sporting landscape. uh, Influencers, I guess. I like that word. And uh, and my first ever guest on Perkett Pod, Drum roll, please. And by the way, if you have beef with the name of this podcast, get over it. I like it. And by the way, shout out to these amazing folks here at Zone Coverage for granting me this platform in the first place. The more I hang out with these guys, uh, the more I realize just how little I know about sports, first of all. Uh, but real, uh, great minds here, very plugged in. Keep growing with these Zone Coverage people. They're going places. But today, uh, without further ado, we're talking Timberwolves. I think out of all the sports teams in town, They are certainly at or near the top of my list when it comes to being my favorite. I know there should be impartiality with someone in my role, but I can't help it. I love rooting for the Timberwolves, even if I end up torn and broken most of the time when I do. Why does there have to be so many other good teams in the West and in the East, for that matter? And while we watched the Raptors pull off what they did, got me thinking about some of these modern-day NBA superstars and then wondering how some of the older generation NBA stars would do in 2019. Like, seriously, if they were in their prime, how would their games translate to this modern age of basketball? And while I have no idea, I do know who I'd love to see nowadays and who I'd most be curious to see if they were here now playing today. And so before we get to our basketball interview, a segment I call Random Ranks. All right, here now the top 10 or top 11 because of my care 11 influence old-time hoopers who i'd love to see going up against harden lebron Kawhi. you get it number 11 dr j just because number 10 nick van exel my all-time favorite player i would love to see him nowadays number nine magic johnson he's magic kevin McHale is number eight mugsy bogues for real (laughs) How sweet would it be to see Muggsy go at it right now? Uh, Dennis Rodman, because I think his game translates to any day, and I think he would just be boss underneath. Larry Bird at number five, even though uh, one of my cohorts here says he'd just be a modern-day Kyle Korver, which I, I almost socked him in the face when he said that, but I'm going with Larry Bird at number five. Bill Lambeer at number four uh, to teach these young bucks a few things about uh, elbows. Daryl Dawkins at number three, just because you can never have enough broken backboards. At number two, I had a poster of this guy in my room growing up. I pretended I was him on the playground. I would have to see him nowadays. George Gervin, a.k.a. the Iceman. 
San Antonio Spurs. Google him if you don't know who he is. And number one, <laughs> this one's going back to Pistol Pete Maravich. Dude, have, I've, I've watched YouTube clips of this guy. Seriously, I've, I've showed my kids YouTube clips of this guy just because he's that, he's that electric. All right, now to the first guest on this inaugural perk at pod, as I like to call it, Ethan Casson. Upon arriving as CEO of the Timberwolves and Lynx, by the way, he saw the Wolves break a 13-year playoff drought. He saw a rebranding of the team, Target Center renovations, the Jimmy Butler debacle, and the departure of Waylon Brunson and more. And through the brutal and the brilliant, he continues to help navigate these teams into what undoubtedly will be futures as exciting and hopefully even more fruitful. Here now, the man, Ethan Casson. Perk Epoch. Find out what he'll say. Perk Epoch. Sometimes he's at play. Perk Epoch. Who's coming on today? Perk Epoch. All right, Ethan Casson, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about your balling skills. Okay, yeah. Okay, because you were a baller. No, I was. It's it's. Uh, I think I was. It's it's something I very rarely want to talk about when you work for an NBA team <laughs> amongst the best <laughs> in the world. You know what I mean? So suddenly, that the game that you once thought you had, you're, right. you're reminded daily. Uh, even in the in the recent mini camps that we've had in the facility, the you know over the last couple weekends. You're kind of watching these guys and going, these are the greatest in the world that are trying to make a team. You know what I mean? These are the best players in the, in the, in the world that are hoping to make a roster spot. So I tend, to, uh, I tend to kind of keep that piece of information to myself, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Well, it's, I, just, I see that you're wearing the Air Jordans today. You're yeah, rocking them. Yeah. I, and I, I normally I've always seen you in just like head to toe, just dressed to the nine suits. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, I, I, I like to mix and match. So we have, our, we have a policy here, dress for your day. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's something the millennials have encouraged us to uh, embrace. Those millennials. Those millennials. We love those millennials. I think we have seventy percent of our full time staff that that uh, fit in that range, and uh, so oftentimes we're asking our staff, how do we make this the best places to work? How do we create an environment where it's not just going to work uh, for an NBA team, a WNBA team, and the excitement that's in and around it, but for you personally, what are some of the things that matter? Um, in and around that that work experience, and there's a lot of different feedback and, and information we get from everybody. But dress code, which by, by the way I think is a is a, is a subject matter that comes up in any organization, whether you're a Fortune five or you're a private or you're a small company or professional sports team. So we introduced months ago uh, in this very theater uh, with our staffs. We rolled out all these new benefits. You know, whether it was parental leave, right, four hundred one k, really important things that matter. Uh, to people and their families, uh, and then I, I rolled out dress for your day, and I got a standing ovation. So it gives you a, gives you a sense on just how important. We can't wear flip flops at my at my shop. Okay, got yeah. It. yeah, that's one. That's one, and I can't grow a mustache. Oh, really? No, I mean I I can't grow a mustache. Yeah, I literally yeah. cannot. If I, three weeks, this is three weeks right now. Now, can you go on air with scruff, or is that frowned upon? It's frowned upon. Is it? Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Unless it's unless it's November. And then that's a whole nother day. But you were a Hall of Famer back in the day, weren't you? I, I played basketball my whole life. Uh, I was coached by my father. He was coached by his father. Uh, his father coached him. So the game of basketball has been in the Casson family for forever. And uh, yes, were you a point guard? Or I, what were a you? A point guard. Yeah. yeah. Point guard. Lefty point guard. Um, and I, I played I played college basketball. My twin brother, I have a twin brother who played college basketball. 
my little brother played college basketball, and so I was lucky enough to, I think I think you call it uh, big fish, small pond. So I was I was an okay big fish in a small pond playing at a at a pretty low level of college basketball. Colby College. Colby College got inducted into the New England Basketball Hall of Fame. That's brilliant. Our college uh, basketball Hall of Fame and my high school basketball Hall of Fame, and and uh, the folks in the office that that know about those three things, I, I get made fun of quite a bit actually for being in three different Hall of Fames. So. Oh come on, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's. I think it's well. Awesome. You're you're still playing. You and I talked the last time. You're still out there. Yeah, I play every Friday uh, with a bunch of uh, with a, with a bunch of dads from the neighborhood. And every 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 Saturday, I am then lamenting, "Oh my gosh, I think I tore my pec. Oh my gosh, I think I did something to my groin or something." And it's it's always something. Yeah, and it's we, it's, it's remarkable how uh, like age brings on pain. It does. It's crazy. Emotional pain as well. <laughs> uh, we have uh, open gym is is something we do, and you you've seen the facilities behind us, right? So we've got these beautiful courts for the Lynx team and the Timberwolves team. But when the teams are traveling, we'll open up the gym a couple nights a week when the teams are on extended uh, road trips, and a lot of the folks in the office are allowed to go and, and play pickup games. And my office has windows facing the court. And so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of every once in a while be in the office working late and, and look over and watch watch the younger uh, generation of full-time staff running up and down the court. In my mind. Thinking you can still have In my mind, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, I, I think I could take that guy. Right. I, I know I could take sure that guy. Can. But I, I also play out what would happen if I just showed up one night and started playing and there would be multiple people in the office that would cross me over hit a fadeaway three and then i'd have to live with that but you're the ceo so don't you think there would be a certain amount of deference you know like oh shoot uh, i'll let him let him get away with I this i think one. because of the ceo title it would make it much worse for me okay uh, much okay. much worse for okay me. so so i'm retired i'm done playing and no more pulled pec muscles or whatever yeah. going on with your yeah. body i'm, I'm out well that, that was an honor of of nikola pekovich um <laughs> oh, if you would talk to me about your your ceo-dom if you will, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by how it came about because I, your story is really interesting on how it started with the cold calls and all that. It, yeah. it, relive that if you, if you don't mind. No, I'd be happy to. It's a story I, I, I find myself sharing quite often, but it's, it also allows me the chance to kind of go back in time and, and almost pinch myself, even sitting here with you and thinking 20 years ago. You ready for this? Yeah. 20 years ago. Two months ago, okay. Does that make sense? 20, yeah, totally. 20, 20 years ago, two months ago. I yep. think I'm saying that the right way. Uh, is is when I started my career with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and it was a cold call that got me into an informational interview, and it was a cold call that I made hundreds of times to every team in every league. You you literally just got phone numbers for uh, all the sports organizations. Yep. What in the NBA and yep. the NHL and the NFL? What? How'd you do it? Alphabetically, I would I would do it, and okay. I almost uh, your uh, manual CRM. Mm -hmm. I would I would take notes of every team, and oftentimes the notes were left voice message, faxed. Nice, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. I, I, what? Let's look that up after we, we get off here. Nah, talk about the millennials. Yeah, right for there. sure. Uh, I, and then I would I would fax my resume, and then I would go through the alphabet. I had a Boston Celtics 1995 media guide that I was given when I interned for the Celtics in the summer of 1995. So, uh, so I played basketball, and in the summer, it was actually the college I went to was Colby Sawyer. Uh, in the summer, I would go do all these internships, and as a kid from New England – 
uh, and growing up in New England, I got to work for the Boston Celtics in an internship in the PR department, which at that point, if my career had started and ended in that window of time, it would have been the greatest. Uh, uh, greatest. As a New England kid, I mean, that's that's the pinnacle. Yeah, right just there. walking down the hallway and there's Larry Bird and walking down the hallway. Like, seriously? Seriously. I, 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 one of the tasks was to pick up Red Arback at the airport uh, when he would come into town, he, he lived in Washington, D.C., and then he would come to town for big events. It was at the latter part of his life and his career. And I would have to take his Lincoln, his Celtics green Lincoln town car to go pick him up at, 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 uh, at, at Boston. Did at he really Boston, have a... At, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it and just reeked of cigar smoke. Reeked of cigar smoke. <laughs> there, was like, there was like 11 miles on it. Yeah. It reeked of cigar smoke. I would have to... I would, I'd, go pick them up and again 1995 so this is pre all of the restrictions of pulling up to the front of an airport but I would I would pull up and I would just wait there like a driver I guess <laughs> technically I was a driver sure. an intern and a driver and I would wait for Mr. Arbach to, to come out the, the doors still the, calls him Mr. yeah Mr. Arbach right it's Red Arbach mm-hmm. and uh, he would come out and uh, he would get in the car and he was he, he never seemed like he wanted to talk to a kid, you know, that was in the front seat asking him all these questions that I've dreamed of asking. Yeah. And I, uh, I'll never forget this. It, it was a car ride back to Boston Garden. It was still Boston Garden. They were just about to tear it down that summer. By the way, we used to play pickup games at the Boston oh, Garden at lunch. Dude, don't just stop swear, right no, now because you're talking to an LA kid. This, that's where I yeah, grew up, yeah, so where so. where where Boston Celtics was almost a bad word. Yeah, the pain and in your in your childhood. No, was, no. The deal was, I was the only kid in L.A. that loved the Celtics. Oh, oh, I I got ostracized. Yeah. I got beaten. I got it was oh, it was awful. And wow. and so to hear these stories, I'm just like, I remember the first time I, ke- I met Kevin McHale. I, my jaw dropped. Yeah. I could barely speak. Well, I remember the I remember the first time I met McHale when I got the job. Uh, again, I couldn't believe that this was actually happening. I would we would play pickup basketball games in Boston Garden at lunchtime because it was the summer that they were going to tear it down that fall and build it and build the new space right next oh to my it. Gosh. So we would just go up and down and uh, and play and then you know. Uh, what did they do with that parquet floor? So a lot of it was donated. Okay. Um, a lot of it was donated. Boy, we're really covering some ground. No, here. I, I just think, I'm no, fascinated no, by no, this. No, a lot of it was donated, but there because the floor was so bad. I mean, Perk, you got to understand the stories that they tell around those games, yeah. those Lakers games, where Magic would be dribbling the ball and then the ball would just not come back up, <laughs> right. is real. Like dead spots. Yeah, they're dead spots yeah. on, a, on a professional basketball court. Those are real. And I remember the last day we played pickup basketball in there. There was like a like a chip of the court. You know, we just kind of had just been chipped off just by by accident. You got it. Yeah, I mean, it's, yes. I mean, it's just you know, it's, yes. it was there. It right, was, it was it was going to be recycled. Yeah, I'm not even going to say what I did when the Metrodome went down. What I grabbed out of that place. Oh <laughs> we'll my just gosh. Leave it as is. Yeah, we'll leave it as is. So you cold call. You get alphabetical orders of all the, all the yeah. sports teams. You start cold calling because you're looking for a job. You're trying to yep. get your foot in the door in the sports industry. I've got the media guide from the internship. Yep. And I just called every team every single night. Over and over and over. Were again. you scared? Was that like? Were, was your heart racing as you were calling? Were you just I like th- that? You had that much swagger as a kid. No, I don't know if it was uh, I, I, resilience. Certainly, uh, it didn't feel like much swagger when no one was calling you back. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but it was one of those things where I just knew when I was done playing, and even before that, that if I didn't do these internships, if I didn't put myself out there, if I didn't try to find a pathway to what I wanted to do for a living, I'm sure you can relate to this, where every day doesn't feel like work, there's a passion part of it, um, I would never be happy or fulfilled. So it 
felt like the only thing for me was to work in professional sports and I was just not going to stop. In fact, these calls I'm making are after I've graduated. So you can imagine my parents, you know, we're, I'm, we're, you know, we're living on credit card debt and student loans and they're asking Ethan, um, are you going to get a job? And I would, I would say, I am going to get a job, but it's going to be in professional sports. I'm not going to take a, a pathway that doesn't lead me down that. I actually got a full-time job at ESPN for a brief period of time. While I was there, I still were cold calling teams. Yeah. And a woman by the name of Jean Sullivan in the HR department. Here? Here at Target Center. She's uh, since passed away, which is very unfortunate, but a sweet woman. Uh, she picked up the phone one night. It was at like 9 o'clock. She was working late. And I just, this poor woman, I would not let off the phone. I just said, you don't understand. I need you to just say yes to an informational interview. There was no job. And she said, you know what? You're obviously not going to let up. I feel like you're overqualified, but come in at your own dime. And I will set you up with some informational meetings. And you can meet with a bunch of different people, including Chris Wright. Uh, so I came out on my own dime. I stayed at... I think in a Connell Lodge. Okay, all right. Are they, yep. are Whatever they, it takes. Yeah, exactly. Right. God bless Gene Sullivan. I know Gene Sullivan. And um, I went in that day and spent the whole day with the Tim Rolls organization. And each meeting I had, I, I tried to connect. I tried to make uh, it a point to differentiate myself from maybe other candidates. I didn't even necessarily know what field. I just wanted to get in. And at the end of the visit, I met with Chris. And uh, I'll spare you my English accent, my Chris Wright English accent, which is spot on. Oh, God, come on. No. Don't spare me then. It's, it's spot on. Okay. Maybe, just, maybe, maybe next one. Okay. Um, well, we, uh, we, we decided, hey, well, we have an entry-level position. And from there, I spent 11 years with the Timberwolves before leaving for the Bay. That's outstanding. And, that, yeah, the Bay is San Francisco where you joined the 49ers. So you're, you're one, I would imagine, one of the few CEOs in the NBA that also has NFL experience, or at least at that level, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just thinking off the top of my head, yeah, likely. Um, you know, I think it's important if you get the chance to leave leagues, and that's certainly what was a motivation for me. Professionally, I had gone as far as I could inside the Terminals organization. The ownership group of the San Francisco 49ers reached out. They had this crazy idea of trying to build a privately financed football stadium. They had this crazy idea of being able to do all these different things that you know stadiums uh, in past uh, had not been able to achieve from you know lead gold certifications to technology incubators. And by the way, you happen to have a great football team. Dude, Candlestick was a dump. Yeah, it was a, a historic dump. I a think. historic it, dump, it, it, yes. Yeah. Okay, right, let's establish that. But it, it was time for a yeah. change. And you were sort of thrust into that. You were it's like was, to spearhead that whole yeah, Levi the, Stadium, yeah, the, right? Yeah, the, the, the conversion from candlestick to to Levi Stadium the naming rights the founding partners the rebuild with our staff all of those things so it was again I, I didn't know what I didn't know when I took the job in 2010 but six and a half years of that period of my life to be out of my comfort zone in a new league in a huge market with a huge project and to be able to do that professionally and personally you know I, I, I met a, a, a young woman from Minnesota she went with me to the Bay Area we got married uh, so a lot of things happened professionally and personally that 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 six and a half years uh, was just such a special period period of time for my my family. And then and you found your way back here. I did. You found your way back here, which I'm sure the wife loved. For sure. Right. We 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 ran into Glenn Taylor at a wedding, um, a mutual friend's wedding, and he started talking to me about the time in San Francisco. And then he had this 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 idea that not only would he want to make changes on the basketball side, this is. Uh, right before Tom Thibodeau was hired, um, but he was starting to talk about 
what would uh, what would you be interested in doing if I wanted to make changes on the business side? Wow. And uh, a long long conversation and follow up happened uh, that led me to the CEO position. But in that moment, my wife who was sitting next to me, I, I, w- I was getting the "Don't screw this up" interview <laughs> eyes <laughs> at a friend's wedding. So here we are. There's a lot of those looks, aren't there? there yeah. Are, yeah, that's the way to come through. Way to come through in the clutch. If you would uh, talk to me about that sort of being on the cusp of of what was such uh, sort of a vast change here to this franchise and yeah. this organization that that you helped guide, right? I yeah. mean, t- tell us about that that first wave of of, of sort of revamping things. Yeah, I, I, you come in, you know, for me, the, the luxury um, or, the, or the benefit was it was a new position. I had not been a CEO before. Um, I was, you know, I was the first non-family member to take on even that position. So that part was new. The role and responsibility and oversight was new but so many other things were not new. A lot of the staff I was very familiar with, a lot of the folks in in the community I was very familiar with, a lot of the corporate partners. I certainly had institutional knowledge of our company that provided me a a little bit of a a, a runway that maybe someone else would have had to learn. And and what I mean by that is I, I recognize, I recognize even as we sit here today, what we've been as a basketball team on the court I recognize some of the adversity. I recognize some of the yeah, some do. of the pain points. Yeah, I know uh, you and, do. And, and I also recognize the moments where where it went the way we wanted it to go. I recognize the moments where fans really responded. I recognize the moments where we really made significant contributions, both on and off the court. So I'm able to blend those two things together. I think that makes me or allows me a chance to to be. Um, better at what it is that I'm asked to do every single day, and and because of that, and because you had that success in that in that first year, a couple of years ago, where it was where, where it was really impactful, and, and and the drought was over, and you made the postseason, um, and then and then to 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 take the step backs that you you had, and, and some of the drama that that happened here. How painful was this past season on a whole, organizationally speaking? Did, or maybe not painful, but yeah. but how cha- challenging, yeah. I guess, was that? Especially knowing where you guys had gotten, and and the trajectory you see, were seemingly headed. Yeah, it it was challenging. Um, it was challenging for our staff. It was certainly challenging for our fans. Um, and and that weighs on you, right? yeah. Because uh, you take such pride in, in what you do and how you do it every single day. I would say the first three years. I'm I'm just about to finish uh, my third year uh, back. We were able to do so many things uh, specific to rolling out a brand new brand. Um, you know, the renovation. There were there were some great you know great wins for our franchise. Significant um, pieces, and, and certainly the basketball piece. Uh, was a part of it but there were other things that we were doing that were very very instrumental and in kind of what got us to this point specific to what you're talking about and are about. still going in the right direction 100 yeah. yeah the trajectory is 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 looking really promising um on the basketball side and, and when you and i recently connected we were going through a complete change uh, in in not just direction but personnel and we went through an extensive search for the president of basketball operations search we identified 30 plus people that we thought could be uh, individuals that we'd want to speak with. Glenn and I narrowed that group down to about four or five people that we'd want to have come in. And it was a great opportunity, as challenging as maybe some of the things have been. Uh, that's real, but I, I don't think that's any different than any other organization, certainly any other sports team. Probably not. No, but we, we had a chance to, to uh, I don't even want to say rebuild or reset because that would suggest something negative was happening prior to. We just had a chance to build it from the ground up. 
and in my role as the CEO coming in three years ago, but after so many decisions had been made, this is an opportunity in the position I'm in now to at least uh, play a role, as small as that might be, in the direction uh, on who we want to be as a company and as an organization and as a culture. And ultimately that led us um, to Gerson Rosas as the president of basketball operations because so much of what he brought in that interview process wasn't just his, his, his capacity to do the job. All of the candidates that came in at this stage of their careers are very capable of doing the job. But there were tangibles and intangibles that really felt like-minded. Mm-hmm to who we have already established ourselves as, as, as what we want to be as a company and certainly who we've established ourselves as what we want to be to our customer. And Gerson, as he's ramped up his staff and we've hired Ryan Saunders now as our head coach and we're starting to fill out the bench positions and more front office announcements are, are officially coming soon, you're going to see a very diverse, very, very collaborative, very innovative group of people that are joining our organization and helping us take us to the next level. While we could sit here and talk about, oh, pa- Pablo or, or the NBA trade machine that you hired, I, I, I do want to focus a little bit more on Gerson because this was such a huge hire. And, and the process, that the fact that he was with uh, the Rockets for so long, he really seems like, though, while he was – excelling there he he had a clear vision as to what he would want to do if he ever got this opportunity am i am i right you're 100 percent right and i think everybody depending on where they're at in their careers if there's that job that they're chasing or that that promotion that they're chasing or that opportunity that they're chasing oftentimes you're thinking about that prior to it happening you know i was thinking about um wanting to be a CEO of a professional sports team, ideally an NBA team, while I was in San Francisco. I wasn't distracted by it, but the things I was doing every day, the, th- the things I was forcing my, you know, myself to try to get out of my own comfort zone, to, to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, all of those things are the build toward what potentially could be the next thing. And right. I, I mean, you're excelling, but you also you have to have ambition, yeah. right? You have to have aspirations. Because right? you start thinking about, well, what would your strategic plan look like if it was your strategic plan? What yeah. would your vision be? How would you want to manage a staff? What is What does a healthy culture look like? What does a winning basketball team look like? What's the right infrastructure in the front office to provide a formula for a winning basketball team? So what, I, what, what I'm suggesting is someone like Gerson he had been thinking about that, had been doing that job at such a high level inside the Rockets organization and our league. Um, but the idea that he had a chance to go and actually make this at least not his alone, mm-hmm. but the opportunity for him to build it with a group of people and have it be his blueprint, I think, is is what uh, what had him very attracted to this position and us very attracted to him. And, and, and I mentioned this to you before. He wanted this job. And there was something very authentic about that. This was a job he came in to interview for for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that matters in this marketplace. I think that matters with our our media partners. I think it matters with our fans. I think it matters with our staff that this isn't a flyover state. Yep. Right. This is a state that I want to actually, you know, be be responsible for the leadership on the basketball side. How collaborative was that that hiring process? Because I imagine he just has to check so many boxes and and there have to have to be so many filters you run him through uh, for that. The the a lot, a lot. And and, and we made it as as inclusive of of any interview that we've ever done. 
We wanted people in our organization in leadership positions to spend time with them. So everybody was meeting them. 150, no, um, 150 people interviewed Gerson Rosas when he came through here. No, we uh, we probably had about uh, probably eight or nine people that were on a, a an interview committee that we established, and the thinking was he was coming in as were the other candidates to not just talk about your vision and strategy for how you build a basketball team you know how, how do you manage our current roster what does a future roster look like give me your give me your sense on what when you say player centric what does player centric mean when yep. you talk about championship level organizations you know et cetera, et cetera. when you talk about data and analytics how would you apply those those are all the basketball questions around the job but there were so many other things that we were certainly interested in, in understanding what kind of contributions and role do you think our players and our front office uh, should be assigned in and around our community. So so a lot of people had a chance to meet with Gerson and vice versa, him meet with them. And, and I've said this often, when you interview someone like that, they're interviewing you as well. Sure. And that's where the partnership happens. The, the um, how, how, I'm curious about this. This is coming sort of from someone who's not in the business, right? In, in your business. Uh, how, how much do you have to look at a team like the Warriors and or the Raptors and what they're doing and, and how they're achieving their success and, and, and maybe mirror it, or do you just say, we, we got to do our own thing, but that definitely works. Do you I know th- what I'm saying? I think it's both. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I, would, I would extend that out to not just NBA teams that, are, that have seen significant success, but teams in every league. And I would extend that out to teams in our local market. You know, and I, I, you know, we've happened to have great relationships with all the teams in market. And there are things that some of those teams have done that are very interesting that are starting to pay out or starting to show uh, that what we talked about a couple of years ago in in the twins particular case is starting to to come to life, is starting to evolve into the type of organization and the type of team that we want to be. You take best practices from as many areas of our industry as you possibly can. And yet you have to understand that those best practices have to be applicable to your current state. So we're constantly wanting to learn from everyone, from the Warriors to the Minnesota Twins to the Minnesota Vikings to the Yankees to the Red Sox and everybody in between. But we're also making sure that this is our blueprint, that it it makes sense for our organization. But we should also mention you're the CEO of the Minnesota Lynx uh, as well. And, and, and goodness knows they've had their share of successes that you've celebrated. Absolutely. And in fact, you asked about the interview process. What I thought was critically important to the interview process for the president of basketball operations search on the Timberwolves side is to include Cheryl Reeve. Because not only is Cheryl maybe arguably the best basketball coach, male or female, that we've seen in generations. She's somebody that's been in a leadership position for a long, long time. She sits across from players, coaches, front office executives daily trying to identify the tangible and intangible characteristics that make great leaders or great players. Um, and, I, and I thought it was it was incredibly important for her to be part of the interview process of all the candidates that came in, not just so we had a great partnership and collaboration happening with our Timberwolves organization and our Lynx organization, we share the facility, right? But it's her institutional knowledge and what she's experienced that could provide great value. And, you know, not to mention four-time world champion, six-time champion, if you count what she's achieved as an assistant coach and head coach. Um, and she provided great guidance, great feedback, and great insight. And, and, and that's important to it as well. You talked earlier, this is an organization made up of actually now four teams um, with the Tim Wolves, the Lynx, our T-Wolves Gaming 
um, and our, our Iowa team, the 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 the, uh, the Iowa Wolves. So we've got four properties kind of working tandemly with one another, and and there's things that make them very different from each other. But culturally speaking, we're we're trying to keep that as closely aligned as possible. And that's the word. We can sit here and talk about how I saw Andrew Wiggins in the weight room the other day, just getting it on and in the lab, and Anthony Tolliver out there shooting three pointers for two straight hours while I was here doing something. And 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 that's all great. But this really is. Uh, about culture yeah and and we hear that so much with with the teams that are really successful it seems like yeah and 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 there are plenty that want to debate the word or that's the word you're supposed to say and and so i i think think it's a great word because it makes sense to me i I mean i I get it it's universal right and i haven't heard of any organization that isn't driving that i mean we, we we talk inside of organizations around working inside out and inside out is our people and our people are all made up of the, tri- the type of culture we're trying to build collectively together. Now, the outward part is the outcome of the product that we put on the court. The outward part is what we do and how we do it for our customers and the experience. And the outward part is how we are perceived and what we're doing in our communities. But the inside-out approach is, is, is what we're doing in and around all of it. I brought something up at the start of this podcast, and I'm just curious for your take really quickly. Um, I, I'm... I, I'm, I'm saying what would, how, how cool would it be if we were able to bring back players from the past in the NBA, specifically the NBA, and bring them into the modern era, okay? Is there one player from the past that you would love to see play in 2019 with the current crop of players that are in the NBA, just to see how it would work and see how their game would translate? Is there one? I mean... Jordan obviously would be somebody that I'd love to see. Uh, I'm not. I, I'd be. I'd die to see how that would all play out and just how right how modern the yes. game is compared to Michael Jordan. Yeah. If I if I had to keep it real, I, I'd like to see Larry Bird thrown into the mix as well, just out of curiosity of of the way he played the game at that period of time. Right. How how physical the game was. Yeah. Um, and yet, I, I, there's a piece of me that just believes with any name that we'd throw out, they would be the, still the best on the floor because of what they were able to do, you know, just with, just from a, from a capacity to own the physical part of the game, but also the, the mental part of the game as well. How excited are you for the future of, of, of the Timberwolves specifically? I'm really excited. I'm really excited that, that we have this amazing opportunity to build something. And, and do, do you think, like, Obviously, you, your vision is a lot more long-term and far-reaching and, and, and wide. Yeah. For the immediate, the wins and losses on the floor, which you can't necessarily control. And is that frustrating, first of all? Because, like, are there times where you're just pulling your hair out because, because, because it's not working the, out? Because of the Hall of Fame experience that I have? Is that, <laughs> is that what you're asking? No, no, no absolutely. How, how, how quickly... And I don't. And timetables are so hard in sports, right? I mean, because I I know it's a process. Sorry, Sixers. Um, but but how quickly and realistic would it be for this franchise to get it back, at least above five hundred, to where they're contending for playoffs and and postseason? It's hard to put a word on it. Yeah. You know, quickly sounds today. Um, some would 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 benchmark let's say the upcoming season as a success if you make the playoffs some would say that's not good enough 
um, you could say, what do we look like two years, three years from now, and, and, and how is the team performing? I think what excites me the most, to go back to your original question about the current state, is I know we are bringing some of the most dynamic leaders in basketball into our organization. Sure seems like it. I know we're bringing people that are from all over the world with different points of view. I know we're challenging ourselves uh, to go about this differently. I know we're focused on the current state of the game, which is very modern. I know we're talking often about being player-centric, and being player-centric is what are we doing for our players every day, uh, whether it comes to nutrition, whether it comes to wellness, whether it comes to mental health, whether it comes to their off-season. Uh, player-centric is all about making sure we're doing whatever we can to get the most out of them and then support our players. I know we're trying to build an environment that involves people's families and the extension of their families, and I know we're trying to build something that's sustainable that leads to, to championships. Today, no, but tomorrow and the next day, there's progress that's going to happen. There already is progress since the last time you and I visited, and, and I think that'll eventually uh, translate into fans believing, right? And we oftentimes talk about that, right? You're selling wins or you're selling hope. In this particular case, we're selling strategy and vision, um, and strategy and vision could lead to hope. And I think when you connect those together, I, I think we're onto something. Keep crunch, whatever you do. I just, I love crunch and Prowl for that matter. There's, that's, that's awesome. They are amazing. <laughs> by, the, by the way, I once had a dunk contest with crunch. I know. Oh, oh okay. Oh, oh yeah. Right. No, yeah. No, I, right. I, I think I was there. I think I witnessed it. Back in the day, right? Did, did, we, did you have to, we must have signed a, a waiver or something. There type. was no waivers. There were, I'm well, sorry, there well. weren't. That, but that was before you were the CEO, right? Yeah, no, otherwise there would have been waivers. But sure. yeah, he he gave me a secondary mask, and I didn't know there was a secondary mask. Few people know that. Maybe I'm giving away tricks of the trade that I shouldn't be. You didn't do the dunk mat or anything, did you? Or did? Oh, I did the I did the the launch trampoline. Absolutely, oh. there was a pad underneath, though. I got up. I, you'd be surprised. And speaking of which, I think I think you and I maybe should just like cut this off, go out and ball, and just. Just, just for old time's sake, just to see if we don't tear our pecs, <laughs> and to see if we can. Hang. How do you tear a pec? I don't <laughs> even know. I just know that it really hurts, it hurt. and I can't strain. I can't twist, and it hurts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm, I need help sometimes. But we're getting there, Ethan. It's a work in progress, as you are, are well aware. I'm well aware. Okay. All right. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. All right. Perk Find out what he'll say. Perk Sometimes he's at play. Perk Who's coming on today? Perk Epoch.